Hello and welcome to Into the Wild, the podcast that brings you wildlife facts, conservation updates and nature stories from the professionals to you. This episode of Into the Wild is brought to you by Leica Sport Optics. If you, like me, adore nature and love staring at it, then Leica are a company you totally need to check out. With over a hundred years of knowledge and experience, Leica's optical systems are well designed to bring you closer to the wonders of nature. The binoculars I went with this month were the Trinovid HDs. With such a wide array of uses, the Trinovids combine high definition performance, incredible mechanical features, and on top of that, they're dead easy to use. For me, using the Trinovids was like having HD TV for my eyes. And now, on with the show. Welcome to part three of our mini-series about UK bird crime. After learning about raptor persecution, I decided to dive a bit deeper and learn as much as I could, finishing up the series with a chat with a field ranger for the RSPB, Patrick. I chat to Patrick about his experiences dealing with bird crime, often face-to-face, and what measures he and his team go to to prevent and investigate these different incidences. A slight warning for the show, it is a heavy topic and we do talk about graphic scenarios involving illegal wildlife crime. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy the show. Patrick, hello and welcome to Into the Wild. Uh, Thank you very much for joining me on today's show. First things first, my friend, how are you? Yeah, I'm well, thanks. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me on. Um, Absolute pleasure. No problem. Thank you for joining me. And remind me, you're up in the Highlands, right? Uh, well, just just south of the Highlands in Perthshire, so just outside nice. Of okay. So. so I'm not going to complain about the cold weather in London. No, because no, you're it's... colder. Yeah. Well, I'd like to think so, but you just <laughs> I'm not 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 in the hills today, so it's uh, it's not quite as cold. Okay. Cool. I don't want to sound like a typical southerner going. Oh, it's a mean 11 degrees, and you're sat there going, it's literally below 11. Um. So. <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's fine. <laughs> um welcome to the show though it's today is i can't believe i just said to you before i press record we're actually doing a part three of our uk bird crime series which when i first first went into this i didn't think we were going to be doing more than one or two and to have the opportunity to do a part three is really exciting for me um to learn a bit more so let's get the listeners a bit clued up about what is what we're actually going to be talking about today so do you want to start by telling us who you are um and what it is you do yeah so uh, i'm paddy i work for the rspb investigations team uh, i work in the in the field um so i'm out out in these areas where wildlife crime is happening and in particular we're focused on raptor persecution mm. um, which is an ongoing problem and stain on british conservation um, and the majority of that is linked to game shooting. We're going to come on to that in a minute. Joe, I was just about to say something, but I'm going to put a pin in it and I'm going to come back to it because I, as soon as we get into this conversation, I think me and you are just going to go bam. So let's get back to, let's get to our second question, which even though this is a specific topic we're talking about today, I'm still going to ask you this. So obviously you're working out in the field. That is dedication to be out there for wildlife. So when did your love for wildlife and nature begin for you, Paddy? Uh, so I think for... Same as most people, my love for nature started when I was a kid, mm. um, and it was it was harriers that got me interested in. in oh, nature. cool! So my uh, my dad, who's a bird watcher, took me to go see Montague's harriers at our local patch um, near Hadrian's Wall. They attempted to breed that year, um, and I saw them do a food pass. So the female mm. 
comes up off the nest um, when the male comes flying in with prey. Um, and then she flips over on her back and the male drops the food into her talons. And I saw that and I was just hooked. Like, that was that wow. was amazing. Like our birds do amazing things. And then it must have been a, maybe a month later or so, uh, I went up to Loch Garten. Uh, my family went on a, on a holiday up to the Outer Hebrides and we stopped at Loch Garten on the way. And yeah, I saw, saw an osprey eating a fish in a tree. And uh, yeah, I think I, I think I saw it like drop a nut, like rip part of the fish out and drop it out of the tree. And like <laughs> ten, ten year old me thought this is brilliant. I mean, <laughs> twenty five year old me still thinks that's brilliant. So uh, um, yeah, just absolutely hooked. And it was raptors that got me in there. I think birds of prey are so accessible for so many people because they're so big and majestic. Mm. Why people get really really passionate about this subject. And I think those two moments you've just explained there are two things that you just. I mean, personally speaking from a Londoner, you just don't see. So when you do see it, it must hit home so much more that you're seeing something wild. Absolutely, yeah. These are these are some of the most stunning birds you'll find in the UK. I mean, Montague's Harriers are some of the rarest breeding birds in the UK. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if they even bred this year. Um, wow. Because when I mean, the, the migratory, there's a, there's a population in Europe that, that are doing all right, but... Um, the UK population is not doing very well. The more I've learned about UK raptors, the more I'm just like, you know, it's it's like opening a door to a maze that you just didn't, I didn't, you know, so many people didn't know it existed. Um, so we, we're going to be, like you said, you work in the field. Now, this might be a term that some people listening don't even know what that means. So before we go into our main questions, do you want to explain a bit more about what working in the field means? Yeah, yeah, it's not a problem. So... So I'm a, I'm a field worker, so majority of my time is spent outside, um, you know, boot, boots on the ground, walking around these places, walking or cycling. Mm. Um, so a lot of time it's spent on grouse moors, so a lot of time up and down hills, no matter what the weather. So I'm very lucky. I don't spend much time inside, stuck behind a desk. Um, yeah, I have to do some office work, obviously, but majority <laughs> of it's outside, and I love that because I just, just love being outside. In that case, this is a personal question. What walking boots do you recommend? Because mine are always letting in water. Oh, I mean, that, that can go on for ages. <laughs> but I've uh, currently currently got a pair of Altberg boots. So they're the ones that, okay. that the British Army use. So, uh, I went that to, is high level. <laughs> yeah, I went to a specialist boot shop and uh, spent ages talking to this bloke. And he's like, oh, yeah, you want, you want these boots? And he got really, really passionate. Oh, yeah, British Army use these boots. Yeah, they're really good. And they are. I've, I've, I mean, I do get wet feet, but that's more because I spend a lot of my time bog snorkeling. I spend a lot of time in ditches <laughs> and like pretty wet places. So no matter what I get, I end, I end up being a bit soggy. That's fa- that's fair enough. There was something about bog snorkeling that absolutely, it sounded like a roll doll character made up, but that was absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever get a chance, you should look at the World Championships of bog snorkeling. It's hilarious. I am 100% committed to doing that now after this record. <laughs> I'm absolutely doing that. That sounds incredible. That sounds like something you're going to see on like We Are The Champions on Netflix maybe in a few years. I wouldn't be surprised. Time. Yeah, that's, uh, it's that sort of level. People in, people in wetsuits <laughs> swimming through bogs. It's quite something. <laughs> incredible. Um, right, so let's move on to our question. So people now know you're a field worker, what that involves. So as I said at the beginning, this is part three of our UK bird crime series. And and it's a sli- slightly different take on the topic. As 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 you said, you're working out in the field. Mr., uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
preventing it or working in ways to prevent it or to catch it. So let's start with, can you tell us what's actually involved in your job role in trying to prevent UK bird crime? Uh, the RSW investigations team exists to assist the police with their with their work trying to stop um, wildlife crime and respond to it. Mm. So our, our work is entirely intelligence led and scientifically based. So we get we get reports of um, someone concerned about bird of prey crime. Someone's concerned about a nest. They found a dead bird. And then we, we respond to that. So we're, the sort of work we're involved in is being, being in, these, in these black spot areas. From our, from our data, we know there are these black spots for birds of prey. And so we mm-hmm. spend a lot of time in that area. And that's where we get the uh, information from as well. That's where a lot of the intelligence comes from. It's not to say that all raptor crime happens on, uh, on game shoots. There's, other, there's a lot of other mm-hmm. um, crime that happens that we don't, which we do work in. So that stuff like egg collecting, um, is is a big part of our work. Um, well, it certainly used to be, but thankfully that's really dropped off. But yeah, the majority of it is all to do with all to do with game shooting. So, I guess I guess a typical day for us is just being being out on the hill. I mean, a lot of the time you don't see anything. It's just mm. it's just a walk a walk in the countryside. Um, I mean, it's not a particularly glamorous job. Your face changed as you said that. Then going, yeah. wait a minute, sorry, it's not a walk in the park, people. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of walking up hills with heavy rucksacks and uh, mm. hiding in heather and stuff like that. So that a lot of the job is the whole point is to remain anonymous. People don't know you're there, and you just blend in with the uh, with the crowd. Basically, you're just a walk okay. on the hillside. Um, I mean, it's a bit easier in Scotland where I work because you have the uh, right to roam. I mean, I can't really talk for the England team. Um, Mm-hmm. Because I've not not done much work down there, and our right to roam is being slightly adjusted. Yes, yeah. So I see from, uh, from Twitter. So uh... it's um it's been taken away. Um, but we won't get into that part of any topic. Um, so when obviously I'm, I guess a part of it I'm intrigued is is and I'm not sure how much detail you can go into this because obviously you don't want to give too much away, but is the methods you use in regards to catching people obviously like you said you're using reports from whether it's public or police that have had in saying we've seen this or this kind of activity are there ever any types of methods you use and i'm not talking 007 style i'm not expecting you going out there with drones and stuff like this but is there any methods you you do use um that are kind of to catch or prevent anything really happening uh yeah so it's it's mostly well all but surveillance work um, is is what we mm. do. Um, so that's either you know lying in the heather with a with a video camera or setting up um, a remote camera. So I can't say too mm. much more about because obviously don't want yeah. people know what our what our kit is. But that's that's a big part of the job, and it's all all evidence collecting. And then if we, if we detect crime, that then gets passed on to the police, and it's up to them to to use it as they see fit. Have you ever had a <laughs> I don't I, I I'm laughing because I'm not sure how this question sounds before I say it. have you ever had a run-in with a person in the field um yeah a couple of times um maybe not not what was ag- that like not an aggressive run-in but you know you're, you're obviously always a bit a bit wary because these people people mm. do they do have shotguns I mean I've had coming up coming up to me with like the shotgun like slung across their shoulder like they're in a Rambo film or something saying oh what are you doing on my land and it's like I'm out for a walk. What does it look like? I've just I've got Jesus. a rucksack on, so a bit, uh, I would never wear my binoculars when I'm out and about 
because mm, yeah. they just get they can get you really really funny about that. That's a scary moment though to be in. Absolutely, I think this is someone someone with a shotgun coming up coming racing up to you with a uh, on a quad bike, and it can be. Um, but a lot of the time, we just try to avoid any situation like that. Um, mm. I mean, most of the time, if I see a keeper when I'm out and about, we just give, give each other a wave, and that's it. You know, you just a, you're just a passing passing walker. They're not they're not yeah. bothered and. So yeah, that's 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 a lot of the work is just just conflict avoidance. And when you say you're out in the in the field, and as I I mean I joked at the beginning saying it is you know colder up where you are, which it is, but how long at any one time are you going to be out actually in the field? Is this kind of like a nine to five job? Is this a twelve hour running out there? Or it really depends on what the job is and what we're up to. So I mean there are occasions when members of the team have had to sleep out on the moor depending on something happens. So wow. yeah, a lot of time these crimes are happening in the early hours of the morning. Mm. So, I mean, gamekeepers are out and about early and then late in the evening um, a lot of the time. So yeah, there's been occasions we have to sleep out in the moor, but it really just depends. So currently it's winter, there's, there's not much daylight in Scotland. So days aren't quite as long. Um, the work sort of shifts, but summer you always get longer days. You know, I've had, I've had days where I've had to get up at three, 3am drive three hours and then be out all day sort of thing just just depending on what's happening so it's really really so it's a real flexible. adaptable job as well absolutely i mean i'm spending four or five days a week in the field it's brilliant i mean sometimes you have to work at the weekend that's fine mm. everything like that so it's it's an incredibly flexible job it's also very rewarding because you are really on the front line of conservation the work we do directly impacts on some of our, our rarest birds. I guess that's, yeah, that's, and that that must be in your head at all times when you're out there going, you know, if you're out there in the rain, the sleet or the, you know, heavy wind and you've been out there for five hours already, but at the end of the day, you're out there because this is active in the moment in the field conservation. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the work we do can completely change the face of conservation and, you know, the, the outcome of a bird's life mm. at the end of the day. For every, I mean, for every bird that's killed, um, I mean, 2019 bird crime figures, there was 85 confirmed incidents of uh, bird, bird of prey mm. persecution. Um, but that would be a lot more without the work that the RSPB has done and other organisations. Yeah. It's, not, it's not just the RSPB that carry, that's carrying out this work. You know, it's the work of lots of other organisations and the stellar work that the police force do mm. with catching these criminals. I mean... There is a there is an issue at the moment that of uh, of criminals not not being convicted for these for these crimes. Mm. I mean, last year there was one conviction for bird of prey crime. Yeah, we learned about that in uh, part one. We was we were learning about the rate of conviction. I mean, what is going on there? Why is it so low? It should, it's the difficulty of uh, of collecting the evidence. You think you think these crimes happen in some of the most isolated areas of the UK. Um, mm. So that's one. There's a, there's not a fear of being caught because a lot of time people just will not see you. It's a, it's the old it's the old metaphor that we we should really think of a better one. But it's the tip of the iceberg, the stuff we're finding. Mm. Um, that is the real tip. It's the detectability of these crimes. And then at the same yeah. time, you know, evidence when it's got reached court, it's been thrown out the courts. Um, but then we we can use that in the in the court of public opinion. Um, you know, quite a lot of our work is is through social media and just highlighting and making people aware of what's happening. Um, and I certainly think public opinions change. You, you can see mm. people getting angrier and angrier. I mean, I, I'm, 
on one of your previous podcasts, I heard you talking about the the buzzard that was shot in Kent. I mean, that's, abs- that's yes. absolutely shocking footage. Yeah, uh, it's incredible. It was powerful as well, actually. Absolutely. When you hear that, hear the woman scream, it's uh, mm. it's it's horrible. I mean, that's something you you associate with uh, with the killing that happens in Malta or Cyprus or Lebanon with uh, with birds of prey, not in not in Kent. Yeah. It brought it very close to home, as I think, for a lot of people, because as you said, Kent is somewhere you don't associate wildlife crime. You don't really associate wildlife crime in the UK, if I'm honest. No, you don't. If, if you really are not someone that's immersed in wildlife, you wouldn't really... I, I've learned about bird crime only by doing this. So it is something, when you hear about it happening in Kent and you see that video, and like you said, when you hear the emotion, the two types of emotion, actually, the, the joy of seeing the bird and then the shock of seeing it shot in the air was... It was it was quite a harrowing but powerful bit of footage. And do you think social media has really helped with this kind of catching people and actually preventing it as well? Um, maybe not with I think with catch people, it certainly uh, probably empower people to speak out more and probably mm. get in touch with us more and let, let us know about potential areas of interest, um, areas we might not have realised that uh, wildlife crime is happening there. Um, but yeah, there's been all there's all sorts of blogs and Twitter feeds that are all about this, and it's it's amazingly powerful. And just just getting that getting that information out there. Um, mm. I mean, I'm not sure if you saw last year the uh, the hen harrier that was caught in a spring trap um, from a from a Scottish grouse moor, um, which is absolutely brutal footage. There was a a raptor worker went to this nest. Um, you've got a film by Chris Packham made about it. And you've got a male hen harrier that's uh, that's leg was caught in a spring trap. Unfortunately, the bird had to be euthanized. Um, but it's absolutely horrible footage. And then, mm. and then in the nest next to it, there was another spring trap set. So that was aimed for catching the female. You know, it's it's absolutely barbaric. Some of the things that the that gamekeepers do to to kill birds of prey. I mean, with the advent of satellite tags, that's been a massive win for for yeah. people like myself, uh, people who work in this try to prevent wildlife crime um it definitely caused a, a decline in poisoning and some of these poisons mm. they're using, using are really really horrible illegal things that are lethal to humans as well as as well as birds yeah um, but then <clears throat> now you're seeing a sort of change now there's a lot more shooting than poisoning so it's a real real arms race between the two of us in in some respects yeah it's like trying to play catch up constantly between the two of you know you're, you're trying to prevent one and then it adapts and changes into something else absolutely yeah i mean you're seeing it you're seeing it often now um satellite tag birds of prey tags are working perfectly fine and then the bird just disappears there's no there's no evidence of the bird being there and no evidence of the tag so if a satellite tag is falls off normally it will keep transmitting the data so this year i've gone out to pick up a satellite tag it's fallen off as it's supposed to and it's still transmitting data these tags that have been destroyed you just don't hear anything from again um there was a case Mm. which came out uh in i think september off off my head of a of a golden eagle satellite tag that was found found wrapped in lead so that's that's showing the uh the extent that people go to hide the evidence. So this this satellite tag, Golden Eagle, was flying over a grouse moor uh, in Perthshire um, when it suddenly stopped transmitting in 2016. And the police force responded. Uh, they went and checked the last point. Uh, 
no sign, no sign of a bird, no sign of anything. Four years later, um, someone was walking next to the river and found this lead package and wrapped it. And there's a satellite tag in there with the antenna snipped and, uh, and the harness cut off as well. So there's still an ongoing investigation into that. And the, and the film that was made is really powerful. You, you, see, you can see how people mm-hmm. are trying to get rid of these things. And it's, uh, it's absolutely disgraceful. I mean, the, uh, I believe a figure I saw was these satellite tags are 25% more likely to fail in the UK than anywhere else in the world. These, this technology is so, so reliable. And this, and this is down to intervening? Yeah, it's exactly. It's down to them being destroyed. And these are, these are thousands and thousands of pounds worth of, of really advanced scientific technology that are just getting destroyed. Mm. It's just it, the, the lengths that I think I'm always surprised that people go to. It's, it's the length. That's what I find surprising. It's not just a quick job to do. It's so much work to go into what they are actually doing to something. Absolutely. You, I, I'm, sometimes I find I'm surprised that people do it. Like, you would think so many people maybe i'm being lazy in my what my mindset is like but i just i can't believe people go to the length they do to kill something and to hide evidence i mean i guess hiding evidence is more understandable for the length but to the kill it's so surprising that it has to be like that i don't get the person's mindset that okay today Mm. i'm gonna go out i'm gonna go kill a hen harrier i'm gonna go kill a golden eagle um Mm. i'm not sure if you saw the the case of the sea eagle at the start of lockdown in the Cairngorms National Park, has a satellite tag on its back. So this was the the grandchild of the reintroduction on the east coast of Scotland's uh, sea eagles. This uh, this bird had st- stopped moving. Um, so the police went in, uh, went and retrieved, went and retrieved the body. Found it was dead, obviously retrieved the body. Um, the post mortem came back and it had been poisoned by illegal pesticide. And that's, that's the first eagle killed since 2013 with poison. So, I mean, what's, what is in someone's mindset that they're going out and setting, setting illegal, illegal poison to kill, kill birds of prey? I just don't, I just don't get it. No, it's, it's, it's something I don't think anyone listening now either is ever going to understand, even if they laid it out to you. I think even if I was having a chat now with someone that has done it, and they told me the reason behind it. I still don't think I would understand it. No, I mean there is there is no valid reason for for doing this. It's it's destroying the UK's natural heritage. The, what's what's happening in the, in the uplands? Um, mm. It's absolutely disgraceful. I mean, you see, you you condemn what happens in Malta and Cyprus and Lebanon, and that's that's awful. The shooting and trapping of birds that happens there. But the UK is almost as bad in some ways. Because just the number mm. of the number of birds that have been killed. I mean, hen harriers are almost extinct in England. I mean, there were sixteen, I believe, sixteen pairs this year bred successfully. Um, when the, I know it can. Uh, England itself can hold up to three hundred pairs of hen harriers. The hen harrier population in the UK is declined by over twenty five percent, and a lot of this can be linked to illegal killing. Um, mm. There was a paper that came out from satellite tag data and it and it said i think it was 67 percent. actually i'll just i'll get the paper up uh, yeah so the the recent the recent paper showed that 72 percent of uh of tagged british hen harriers um that have died are either confirmed or considered very likely to have been illegally killed 72 percent yeah it's no no surprise that that the hen harrier population's 
declining rapidly. Well, they're also just not going to come here, right? Am I looking at that too easy? Um, I mean, you do you do get an influx from of birds from the continent. They do arrive, but they're they're it's a source sink population dynamic at the end of the day. There are these black holes where these birds aren't, and it's perfect habitat for them. They go there, and then they get killed. The, would that stop future generations or other birds coming in because of that happening? Is there any, you know, is it the presence of this crime that could actually stop the animals coming at all? Um, oh, potentially, but you're you're seeing in these areas where hen harriers have been killed, birds still keep coming back and breeding there. Mm. Um, well, attempting to breed certainly. And what, aside from it actually happening, which is a very obvious <laughs> issue, what would you say currently are the main issues regarding the bird crime? The biggest one is actually catching the people that are doing it. That's yeah. the hardest. It's so, it's so difficult to detect, which is why we need intelligence from from the, the general public, uh, mm. people people out walking. I mean, a lot of these uh, cases that we respond to are from people out walking in the hills. They find really? something something dead, something doesn't look right, they see a bird in a trap, and then they report it to us or to the police, and then we we respond. Yeah, so it's that's the hardest part because it's uh, it happens in these rural areas, um, rural mm. isolated areas. Yeah, and I guess that's going to be the most challenging, like you said, is actually getting to the, the people who are actually seeing it happening in order to prevent it. And I guess also the more you see, the more it's going to prevent it because also your presence out there or people's presence out on the land will naturally prevent it. Well, at least you'd hope so if someone sees <laughs> yeah, it yeah. happen. Um, but there was a, a case that happened earlier this year. Someone was out walking with their son and they, uh, they saw a gamekeeper completely masked up with, in camouflage uh, shoot shorty at owl and then pick it up and drove mm. off. They didn't care that there was a there was someone out walking wow. with their son, and that was a really powerful case. And hearing about that, yeah, it's just just absolutely shocking. Um, mm. They have they have absolutely no shame um, for doing this. Just just completely blatant. It's end of the day, it's organised crime, but they're just uh, they're just dressed up in the Uplands. Yes, yeah, it's organised crime, and they're putting it in. I don't want to say the right area, but it's being done in the right area to be disguised. Maybe absolutely. Um, I feel people might have a a view of the uplands, and uh, but yeah, there is there is organised crime happening. Now, don't get me wrong; it's not it's not everywhere. You know, there are yeah good grouse shoots, and you know people that obey the law. But the, the, I think the common term is oh, it's just a few rotten apples. But how can it be a few rotten apples when it's all these same black spots and it's the same places year on year? That's not just a few few rotten apples that's completely organized crime i mean the number of moorlands i walk across and you see nothing but red grouse you don't see a bird of prey flying in the sky wow um, it's absolutely shocking i mean i've come across quite a few different cases of wildlife crime happening i can't say anything more about it because they're still being investigated but it's absolutely mm. shocking when you come across it um, yeah and it's very very rare um it's usually the aftermath that you find you might find some feathers or something like that, or a satellite tag just disappears. I mean, one of the hardest moments for me this year was uh, was going to a hen harrier nest that we knew was active. There was a satellite tag bird there, and then it disappeared. Disappeared off the face of the planet. And you go, the nest's completely empty. You knew it was active. It had eggs in it. There's just nothing there. And it's just such a sad moment. But that was something you were monitoring before the event as well? Yes. 
so Raptor Study Group worker had been uh, monitoring the nest, knew it was active, and been letting us know about it. And then the satellite tag, the point hadn't moved for uh, a few days, and then we went and checked the nest, nothing there, and the tag never came back online. That is awful. I mean, what a moment to go through for you guys as well, to have to... Because it's so easy. We know everyone listening to this, you you build a relationship with nature. You build a relationship with something, especially when you're out in the field, when you're working with it and you're going to see it and you know it's there and you're working with it. And then suddenly to have that happen and you know, you know why it's happened. You know, I'm sure you must get that anxiety as soon as the tracker stops moving. You're like, oh, is this, is this happened? You must have that feeling. It happens very, very regularly. I mean, well, since... Since the shooting world said they had zero tolerance for raptor persecution in 2018, there's been 45 hen harriers killed or mysteriously disappeared. When was that? When did they make that statement? I believe it was 2018 they came out with this statement. So zero tolerance, but 45 hen harriers since. Yeah, so explain that. Yeah, yeah. it's not quite zero tolerance. Um, no, not really. Um, so what? I, this is a hard question as well. Um, if I guess let's let's ask this question as an ideal world, what do you believe needs to be done to stop it happening? Well, I mean, we can see in Scotland that the Scottish government have been incredibly proactive about um, fighting rat mm. persecution. I think it's two weeks ago, off the top of my head, that Mary Goujon, the Environment Minister, uh, announced the Scottish government's response to the Warrity Review. So the Warrity Review, if your listeners haven't haven't come across it. Um, was an independent review of grouse shooting. And uh, its response came out last year, and it suggested that licensing should be brought in in five years' time for Scottish grouse moors, and it also had uh, recommendations to do with muir burn and medicated grit, as well as mountain hares. Uh, and Mary Goujon announced in a, in a speech two weeks ago that licensing is going to be being brought in in the next parliament. Wow. And... Uh, yeah, which is which is huge news. Mm. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and she, I quote her here. She said, "Self-regulation alone will not be enough to end the illegal killing of raptors, and further intervention is now required." Um, so, what license will mean is, uh, from what she said, licenses will be required to operate a driven grouse moor business, and that if there is strong evidence of unlawful activity or serious breaches of codes of practice for that business, then their license could be withdrawn. So wow. they've brought it upon themselves um, because they've they've continually said, "Oh no, we don't kill birds of prey." You know, we're it's just a few rotten apples. But year on year, the, the corpses keep piling up. And that's that's a wonderful thing that that's that's really important for that to come in because it creates a huge element of risk for the holders of the reserve if that happens. Having a license is is going to be hopefully make a big impact. Mm. Um, we're not sure currently what what form the license will look like. Uh, we're still waiting to hear from from the government because um, there's going to be a consultation period. But it's just shown that the Scottish government's been really proactive. They've they've brought in um, all sorts of different laws through the last ten years or so. So it's been vicarious liability, which is the uh, the landowner can get prosecuted for a wildlife crime, mm-hmm. um, and now they've brought in licensing. And I think it was last week it came in that the there's now stronger penalties for wildlife crimes so up to five years in jail and unlimited fines which is amazing but then you look south of the border <laughs> and that's 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 not in place oh god <laughs> yeah and the majority of the uh 
of the wild of so bird of prey persecution last year, over fifty percent of it was in in England. There's still there's still a lot of a lot of catching up that needs to happen in England. <laughs> every day, Paddy, every day I hear something about England and I go <laughs> it's a repetitive noise that I go, I've got nothing. I've got nothing left to say about England. I love this country. I don't always like it. Um, <laughs> but I think it's important to follow in suit because ultimately, and I think you'll agree with me and my listeners, it doesn't matter where it's happening. It's It's happening. So it should be almost like a blanket kind of following suit as the Scottish government have done right yes let's also bring these licenses into the UK I mean so I mean, birds of prey have been protected since 1954 mm. and it's still and this killing still happening you know you, you see you see ancient well I say ancient old old records of uh, of shoots and the number of animals that they've killed and just just the damage that's been done because of driven grouse shooting mm. and I, I should should make this uh, distinction so I should have made it earlier that a lot of this happens on driven grouse moors, mm-hmm. um, which is where they need they need an excess of red grouse to shoot. Okay, so that's why they're removing predators. So this is where the, the, so by driven grouse moors is where they really pump up the numbers of grouse on the land. Yeah, it's industrial industrial grouse industry. Okay, okay, that that's that's a really important point to make. So that's so therefore, and when I say it's understandable why it's happening in these areas, it's not understandable in in, in the sense of oh, okay, that's grand. I mean, understandable in the point of that's as you said, the reason why they're getting rid of predators. And the RSPB released that report, um, the UK bird crime report, which was really important and an amazing report that shouldn't have to be made, but was the RSPB keen to go forward with this and make this a regular thing of publishing this for public eye yes so the bird bird crime report comes out every year and that's a that's each year's the overall figures for bird crime and i should say it's just the confirmed incidents Mm. so these have been confirmed by the police things like that um so something like a hen harrier sat tag mysteriously disappearing that doesn't get included in the figures. Wow. Even okay. though we most likely know what's happened, they've been illegally killed, it's mm. not a confirmation of it. So we are we are completely transparent and science-led. So these are just the confirmed incidents. So, for instance, like a bird of prey having a post-mortem, it's got lead shot in it. Okay, so there's hard evidence there that this is absolutely what's happened. Absolutely hard evidence. Um, my last question, and I guess if this was... We said at the beginning before we pressed record that this this might be quite a heavy episode because because it is it's a heavy topic and I'm also talking to yourself that works in the field so there's a very real real feel of this situation when I talk to you but our last question um we can you can relate it to any any part you want to but uh, the question is simply if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone on the planet regarding the natural world Paddy what would you pass on um, well, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll finish on a nice, on a nice, uh, <laughs> on a nice note rather than something quite heavy. Because, as you say, it is, it is a, it's a very, very heavy subject. Mm. You know, dealing with dead birds of prey, and they're just completely magnificent. But I would say, just for everyone, just get out and enjoy nature. Mm. I mean, I think you've seen that from the lockdown, the uh, and the, everything that's happened this year. Just how appreciative people are of nature, and just getting out and enjoying it. Yeah, you know just going out and watching birds making mistakes and learning about the natural world that's one of the best things i think you can possibly do totally agree it's free entertainment a lot of the time 
it's how I spend my weekends. You know, even though I work, I work in there, in birds and nature. I still spend my free time doing it. It's just so brilliant. Yeah, and that's why you know, I'm so passionate about about what I work in because I want everyone to be able to enjoy these sights of golden eagles, hen harriers, sea eagles. I want people to be able to enjoy it. But currently, with the way things are, I and mean, it is getting better, you, these birds are being killed. They're being slaughtered. Mm. Um, all for all for well, I'm, well for the majority of the time for um, for shooting interests. Yeah, and that's just disgraceful. There is there is no defence. It's completely indefensible. And I think getting like like with your advice of getting out there and appreciate appreciating it, getting closer to it makes you realise you need you want to protect it more. It's very it's a very quick feeling to get, and I think that's where we've seen that this year is people suddenly go out to their local area and go, oh wow, this is here. And then you quickly want to protect it. Patrick, thank you so much for your time on this show. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you, someone that has a job that is important. And also, as you said, at times hard, but also very lovely to have probably one of the best offices in the world. <laughs> can't, I can't complain too much. All the lucky ones that gets to work outside. Unfortunately, no coffee machine, but I'm sure you're prepped up with your flask and that when you're out and about. But <laughs> Oh, that's what camping stores. <laughs> <laughs> but Patrick, thank you so much for joining me on Into the World um, to join part three of our UK bird crime uh, mini-series, which it's turned into. Um, and I wish you the best for the rest of the year. And also, Merry Christmas. I get to say that to guests now. So um, have a wonderful Christmas. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been good to be able to, to talk about this to a wider audience. And yeah, Merry Christmas. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work the RSPB is working on, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter at natures underscore voice and at RSPB birders. Don't forget you can now become a part of Into the World's Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Into the World podcast and gain access to exclusive shows and early access to the regular episodes. You can also get in touch with me at Into the World Pod at gmail.com or on social media at Into the World Pod on Twitter and Into the World Podcast on Instagram. You know the drill, whether you just want to say hello, share some thoughts on an episode, or let me know what you want to hear about next. Until next time, keep well, stay safe, and live the good life.